I, I really am in so many ways such a humanist and I'm so all about the connection. I think if you can boil down the point shop into a one philosophy, it's, it's human connection. It's the care and the empathy that comes with that relationship. And I think that's important to not have, you know, just a screen and that obviously helps, but there's so much more to the human connection and being in the same space. I love spaces. I love people. I love connecting. I love communication, all of those things. I don't think that it's ever going to go out of style as no. long as human beings are human. Welcome to the podcast for ballerinas, adult ballerinas, parents of ballerinas, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Georgia Canning, also known as the Balanced Ballerina, and it's my mission to break down the elitist barriers often associated with ballet. Through my own studios and ballet-related businesses, I'm all about providing space and content for people from all walks of life to experience and enjoy the many benefits of ballet. Each month, I'll bring you industry leaders and thought-provoking guests who will hopefully inspire you to lead a more balanced life, full of grace, with a little grit. Hello, Balanced Ballerinas. Look, I'm going to get straight into it because I can't wait to share with you all my conversation with the gorgeous Josephine Lee. As you'll hear, even though Josephine and I have never met in real life, I felt as though I was catching up with an old friend and discovering a new one all at the same time. Is that even possible? Look, I'm not sure, but you know what I mean. Josephine and I have, you know, sent the odd message here and there through social media, but we'd never officially met. So from my apartment here in Australia, I spoke to Josephine all the way in California. And I seriously can't wait to hopefully connect in real life soon. If you're listening to this interview, possibly years from now, it's important to note that at the time of recording, we are living through the worldwide COVID-19 pandemic. And whilst Josephine and I touch on this, I mean, it's hard not to, and how it's affected small business, it's not the sole focus of our episode. No, Josephine has so much more to offer. She's a businesswoman, an entrepreneur, master point shoe fitter, lover of ballet, an avid reader, professional public speaker, and often referred to by her clients as their fairy godmother. So cute. Josephine is the director of The Point Shop and the leader of a team of professional point shoe fitters that work out of her Orange County, San Diego and Oakland locations. Or better still, they come directly to you. After recognizing a need for more accessible and knowledgeable point shoe fittings, she started her traveling point shoe fitting company in January 2014. After our conversation, look, I was desperately trying to figure out how Josephine could travel all the way to Australia to fit my adult and younger dancers. Oh, bit of a pipe dream at the moment, considering the world is in lockdown and most of us can't even leave our own state, let alone country. 
but a dream nonetheless. So I guess I'll just have to continue consuming her content on the Point Shops YouTube channel, which is amazing, by the way. Go check it out. And whilst you're searching all things Josephine, I highly recommend following her personal Instagram account at Josephine Y. Lee. The thing I love most about her is just how inspirational yet relatable she is. And Josephine always just seems to find the right words to describe a thought I'm having or respond just so maturely and gracefully to a difficult situation. If you're a lover of ballet, enjoy this fabulous story with talk of point shoes woven in and out of the storyline. And if you're one of my younger listeners, I want this conversation to inspire you to continue your ballet training with the mindset that you never know where it may take you. Now, enjoy my conversation with Josephine Lee. I think, yep, there we go. I'm going to be so tech savvy by the time this is over. <laughs> I know, right? I see your little red button. I've only done this a couple times too, but it's like Zoom has literally saved everyone's business. It's amazing. I know. There was one day it went down and every dance teacher who's running classes was like, oh my God, the world's going to end. It was up in like exactly. an hour, but it's all good. <laughs> um, I'm just looking at your beautiful point shop boxes behind you. They're so pretty. Okay. Thank you. Well, this is actually very uh these are very old and actually they're super ghetto. They're just like boxes that are supposed to be for drawers under your bed. And I just stack them up and I use them for in-studio fitting. Yeah. Well, they look very nice. They don't look ghetto from where I'm sitting. So thank you. <laughs> they're just great for organizing. <laughs> they're good. They're awesome. So um, what I wanted to do is I wanted to start um, at the beginning and now correct me if I'm wrong, but Ballet and dance in Korea appears to be a little more Russian than American or Australian. And what I mean by that is that um, I guess they, correct me if I'm wrong, they sort of look at participating in ballet classes, even as a six-year-old, as you are dedicating your life to this art form. So I sort of wanted to get your take on this. And what did little Josephine look like when she was studying ballet growing up? <laughs> you know, I started dancing more seriously when I was in Korea. Yeah. And in Korea at that time, which was the early 90s, you it was very much a similar mindset as the Russians, where we only go into ballet if it's a viable career. Like if this is something that you're pursuing as a career, then you go into ballet because otherwise you're just wasting time that you can be spending on studying because there's so much emphasis on academics. So I started dancing more seriously in ballet. And honest, honestly, it's, I think it was because, one, my mom loves ballet and she also danced as well. But she wanted me to have a chance to do something that I was good at doing because I was so bad academically. So, so quick <laughs> history is I moved to Korea when I was five years old. Yeah. And... Uh, I came back to the States when I was 10. So by the time I was five years old in Korea, I was already behind academically. It wasn't my first language. And also it was very difficult for me to catch up in math as a five-year-old. So that's how advanced uh, Korean academics are. So because wow. I was struggling so much, my mom was like, well, 
she did a little ballet when she was in the States. Let's put her in ballet class. And that's how I started. Um, and it was never a second thought that I wasn't going to go into dance as a career. And when I came to the United States, when I was 10, I found this new version of dancing just for fun. So it didn't have to be a career. You didn't have to go into dance. Like you could just do it because you loved it. And I, this concept of a hobby didn't even exist for me. And I started to understand. And, and of course, Korea is a lot, um, a lot more lenient now in that sense. But that's really how I got started in ballet. So when you came back to the States, were you looking at little girls beside you going, oh, you mean you don't want to be a professional ballerina? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> exactly. I didn't even know that that was an option. So yeah. in many ways, it was like you are kind of destined to certain careers when you're very young so that you can have more time to kind of focus on it. Um, it's a very different mindset in the United States where you're allowed to play around with different career paths and different hobbies and see what you really love. Like that wasn't really um, part of the conversation when, when I was growing up in Korea. It, it's funny, even in Australia and the States, um, there is an element of that when you get to more of a pre-professional level. And to give you a bit of background, one of the reasons why I started the Balanced Ballerinas brand, I guess, and podcast and my adult ballet classes and all that was because when I was growing up, and I think you have a similar story too in regards to there's always when our generation sort of got to a fork in the road and you had to choose to go to university or you had to choose to continue studying to become a professional ballerina. And I decided university because... I must admit, I don't think I ever would have been very good in a ballet company because I'm not very good at following the rules and I'm very much like I like to do my own thing. <laughs> so I don't think it was ever going to work out. And I'm really glad that I chose to go down that path. But one of the reasons why I started this and I love talking to people like you is because it's really great to highlight that you can study ballet very seriously and you can take your love of it very seriously. But that doesn't mean you have to become a professional ballerina. You can become an expert point shoe fitter. You can have a podcast. You can have a dancewear shop. You can become a physiotherapist. And so, um, yeah, it's just, it's interesting, isn't it? How did you find that fork in the road when you came to it? So my story is actually very similar to yours where I did have to choose, I believe that I had to choose between university and a professional career. And the dancers that were excelling and that were quite frankly, better than I was, uh, they chose to go the trainee route when they were 16 or 17. So by that time, you had to kind of decide where you wanted to go. And I think now it's even different than when we went to university, because yeah. now you can have a full career after you graduate from college. And there are amazing dance programs that are being offered, but that wasn't a norm when we were going to university. It was basically after you graduate, you're already, you know, the ship has sailed already. Like mm. you didn't get the type of training that you needed in order for you to go into a ballet company. And I'm very similar to you too. I'm not very good at following rules, <laughs> but also I'm actually not very good at competing. So popular. Uh, so. Um, like a lot of people have this con 
like misconception of me of being very ambitious and super competitive, but I am not at all. I think I'm in business because I'm not competitive, not like, not because I, I was, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes when you're in that entrepreneurial category, people automatically assume that that means that you're highly competitive and sometimes highly strong. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a huge misconception because I feel like the entrepreneurial uh, spirit is really about creating something that's new rather than something that you're competing. It's, it's, there, it's not a game. There are no rules that are written. Definitely. I, um, well, let's move a little bit from ballet to business, um, because we can also, I guess, make comparisons between how, um, an American views starting a business as opposed to how an immigrant immigrant views starting their own business. Um, a long time ago, I was actually trying to find the post, but I read in your own words that you described starting your own business as a necessity, not as something necessarily uh, fun um, or, you know, like we view it as starting our own business. So we have our own autonomy. So we have our own, you know, um, thing, but you started yours out of necessity and I'd love you to share your thoughts and like elaborate on that a little. I'm so happy that you brought that up because just the, the pure cultural difference between uh, how Koreans view entrepreneurship traditionally and how Americans view entrepreneurship is so vastly different because the United States is built on entrepreneurship and independence and things like that. Um, being independent and having autonomy in your own business is very highly ranked in terms of prestige. But in the Korean mentality, where we're a very community-oriented society and uh, very much a um, tight-knit group, being part of a larger conglomerate is actually far more uh, prestigious than being start, starting your own company. So I'll, the reason why you see so many immigrants in the United States that start their own business is not because they're coming here and this is their American dream to have a laundromat. It's their dream to, you know, provide enough opportunity for someone, their, the next generation to be able to survive. So starting a business as an immigrant is very much a survivalist um, idealist, uh, idealism. So mm -hmm. it's very much about survival. And I didn't want to start a business when I graduated college. I wanted to go into a job. I wanted to work for somebody. I wanted stability. I wanted all of these different things. And the reason why I went into business was because I couldn't get a job. And the immediate immigrant mentality when you can't get a job is to create your own. It's just yeah. how it is. So that's why you see the liquor stores and the laundromats and the nail salons. Like these are all like specifically Asian owned Im immigrant businesses. And we do it because nobody else wants us. And it's very lonely and it's very separate from the rest of society, which is a very difficult thing for someone from my culture. So when I first started my business, it wasn't this passionate, incredible journey that was inspired by something that I loved. It turned into that, but it didn't start out that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, it's funny. Um, 
did you know we actually studied the exact same thing at university? We no both way. Did, we both did communications with an intention to be a journalist. Amazing. Wow. So when you were at uni, I know this is why I feel like I'm like your Australian connection, like somehow we are sisters, but I don't know about you, but when, when you were at uni, did you do lots of internships and things and that were completely unrelated to the dance world? And did that make you sort of fall back in love with dance or anything? Or how did you end up back? In, I know your mum had a dancewear store, but did you dabble in jobs outside of the dance world, which made you love or fall back in love or maybe just out of necessity, but did it make you sort of go, Oh, I actually like being part of the dance world or how did that work? I think when you decide to leave the dance world, you don't realize that you take it with you. And (laughs) when I entered university, I, went in, I completely poured myself into journalism, into sports journalism, actually. So I was in sports and I never thought I was going to step back into dance ever again. I thought that was a life that I had left and something that I wasn't going to return to. But when I graduated from college, the only thing that was native to me that I had grown up doing was dance and specifically dance retail because my mom owns a dance store. And I think I just knew it. It was just like kind of like moving back to something that I was so familiar with. And when I started doing that, I not only fell back into dance and fall back in love with dance, it kind of showed me a different perspective of dance that I I wasn't aware of. So even watching a ballet is so different for me now. Like watching ballet before as a kid, I literally did not see any costumes or any props. The only thing that I saw was the dancer and their technique. But now as an audience member, I fell back in love with ballet as a complete art form where I see the stage and I see the lights and I see the entire production of this beautiful art form and I'm able to appreciate it in a different way. And I think that's the real fun part of it. And I almost like being in this position better now to be the person that's helping the dancer with the skills and um, the unique set of skills that I've acquired over the years. So it is a very interesting place to be. But I love ballet not as a dancer anymore. I love it as someone who is part of a cog on a wheel, like just like a little part in the entire industry. Yeah, I feel exactly the same way. I almost feel like I'm not almost in love. Yeah, it's difficult to explain, isn't it? It's like I'm not in love with ballet for me. I'm in love with the way that I can take ballet and all the benefits that it holds and just put it on my clients if that makes sense so I don't one of the one of the hardest things as a dance studio owner is that a lot of people think that I'm in the business of creating beautiful ballerinas and that's nice but I don't view that as my job I view my job as creating beautiful little human beings that are you know disciplined and have beautiful posture and stand nice and tall when they're giving an oral presentation at school or you know, the women that come to my adult ballet classes and making sure that they 
feel like they have a safe space and maybe they tried yoga or Pilates and it wasn't for them, but they do ballet and they just love it and the community and the environment and the music. And so, yeah, I, I completely relate to how you have a completely new relationship with ballet. Yeah. I've never thought of it quite as eloquently as you just put it, but that's exactly <laughs> how I feel. So thank you. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's just, I, I do love this world even more now because of it. Yeah. I um. So your world now, just for anybody who doesn't know, I will do it. I always do a nice little introduction at the start of all the, the podcast episodes. So they will know a bit about you, but um, the point shop and how did that come about? Your entrepreneurial journey, again, is a little bit similar to mine because I watched my mom and my dad um, with their small businesses and I was a bit like you. I thought that all small businesses were successful. <laughs> I thought that they all just worked. Um, and I get the sense, correct me if I'm wrong, that probably like me, sometimes when I've had a hard time or I've you know, been wallowing in self-pity, it's my parents that actually go, Georgia, like they snap me out of it. And they're like, come on, you've asked for this. This is your responsibility. You know, you are in charge here. You've been given an absolute gift and it just depends on how you view it. So A, my first part of my question is, um, what role have your parents played in your um, entrepreneurial existence? And B, what for you, draws you and continues to draw you every day when you wake up into this entrepreneurial crazy world <laughs> we live in? You know, it's funny that uh, you actually take away more from what your parents have done than what they have said. And there are little nuggets of what they have told me over the years that have helped me tremendously. But the number one thing that that has helped me watching my parents is just the sheer resilience and incredible optimism that they've had. I never knew that my parents struggled when I was growing up. I have never heard my mom utter a single complaint about her business, never. And it's such a bizarre thing to realize that that is not normal when you're growing up. Like, once I grew up and I realized that, oh, other people complain about their jobs and they are not, you know, happy with it. But my mom has this incredible ability to see the best in the worst situation. It is, and it is uncanny the way that she's able to do that. And um, there is a does, Korean does word. Does it sometimes I, annoy you? Because my mom's the same. And I'm like, can you just see that this is a bad situation? <laughs> mm, oh, that's so funny. You know, I didn't, I, I, I didn't realize that that was abnormal. Like, and it was just like, when she showed my perspective, she, I think she believed in it so much that I was like, oh yeah, that is the truth. And I've accepted it. And now as an adult, I'm able to see that there are many ways to see the same exact situation. And it's up to you to choose which one you would like to see. And obviously being optimistic, um, I think is, it, it takes some practice, I think for certain people, but because um, I grew up watching my mom do it, it comes very naturally as if it, there is no other option. Mm. Like it's always going to just come very naturally. And, and I think that you can learn that as well. I think anyone can learn how to do that, but especially for entrepreneurs, you have to, for the survival 
of uh, your mental sanity. <laughs> yes. So and, I think and the survival of your business. Exactly. And it's, it's so, uh, you can't be grateful and you can't be resentful at the same time. Like you, the brain just does not have the capacity to do both. So when you choose to be grateful, there is no room for optimism or there's no room for, for resentment or feeling sorry for yourself. There's just no, nothing like that. Mm. I, um, it's an interesting time at the moment. And I guess why I'm sort of focusing in on, um, business is that we've all had to pivot and we've all had to adapt. I think we'll all be sick of those two words by the time this is over. How <laughs> have, I mean, we can't ignore that we are in the middle of, I mean, as Australia sort of feels like we're coming out of the whole COVID-19 situation, I feel like you guys are slowly getting there in California, but probably a little bit slower than we are here. How have you found this time I mean you're used to traveling you love traveling how you are you dying at the moment like are you okay <laughs> yeah kind of I mean it's it's amazing so the past couple of years I think I averaged about five nights a month in my own bed and not all together scattered around so I would come home have a night go out again and then like I was just constantly traveling for the past couple of years so this is a very bizarre place for me to be just mentally, physically, I just like, I don't know what to do with myself. Um, but the way that we had to cope and me personally, the way that we had to cope with this entire situation is uh, one, obviously stay positive And like, that's such a, that's such an overused phrase, but it is the only thing. And I had to accept certain things that, uh, that happened in my business. So it was very interesting to see all of the decisions of my past come to a head in, during COVID. So when I started my company back in 2011, uh, it's, it was called Dancer's Choice. And I used it. I used my mom's name. Her store is called Dancer's Choice. So my store was Dancer's Choice Dance Supply. Hers was Dancer's Choice. And uh, it was a retail store. We had everything, ballet, slippers, tights, leotards, jazz shoes, tap shoes, all of those things. And in 2014, I made a decision to get rid of everything and just focus on point shoes. And um, the way that we developed our point shoe fitting method is actually different than what we have been taught our entire dance career is, you know, when you do point shoe fitting, you are taught to look at foot shape and size and length and width. Mm -hmm. and that's how you learn how to fit point shoes. But what I realized was that different point shoes actually made a dancer stronger and made them focus more and made them more flexible and made them uh, compensate for certain weaknesses and um, get them stronger. So certain point shoes did certain things for different people. So the way that we do point shoe fittings is very much around the dancer's technique and the dancers' strengths and their weaknesses. And when we made that decision, I decided that we were not going to be online. We were going to be very manual, very personal, very face-to-face. -face. So while everyone was going the online route, all the retailers like, okay, this, the future is the internet. So we're going to 
sell things online. We're going to do that. So we went completely the opposite. We got rid of everything that you can sell online, like the leotards and tights and everything. And then we only focused on what you needed to do in person. So that was my number one. And then that didn't go very well for COVID <laughs> because we needed in person. And then the second one is uh, I decided to move my store from, um, if any of your listeners are in Orange County, uh, we decided to move from this beautifully polished manicured location to kind of an inner city location in Santa Ana. And I decided to do this because one, it was much cheaper to be there. And two, it was much easier to ship, much easier to get to because we're very much a destination. Yeah. And the same thing in, in Northern California. We have a location in Oakland. Yeah. And those two locations were exactly where the riots happened last weekend. Of course they were. Of course they were. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah. So all of these decisions that I had made over the, over the past years, like I was starting to see like, wow, everything everything that I had decided over the past nine years was coming to a head in COVID and it was against everything. And um, the government actually opened up a lot of funds to help small businesses. And most of the funding, uh, most of the funding was approved based on payroll. Mm. But we have our small, our, our smallest expenses, payroll, our biggest expenses, point shoes. So a business like us, retail, that doesn't rely on a lot of manpower, um, we actually didn't get a lot of help from the government. So yeah. that was another thing that was going against us. And amongst all of these things that were happening that wasn't working in our favor, I had to make a decision that one, it wasn't my fault, and I still stand by the decisions that I had, and that we're going to still survive this. And I had to just make that mental decision that, it was still going to be okay. And it was just the luck of the draw. And if I get stuck in that, I should have done this or I should have done that, then I'm never going to come out of that spiral. Oh, so exactly. Yeah, you, would have, so. you would have made yourself feel really sick if you had have gone exactly. down that path. And I think, like, I honestly, I look at what you do and I think that you are on the right path. I think that what you do is amazing. And I think that there's something romantic but also necessary about human to human contact and physical being in the same space I know that we tackled probably very much like you um we tackled our you know uh, response to this whole situation very differently um we didn't take our entire timetable and put it online I said to everybody this is the very minimal timetable we are going to do. Um, for myself, I found it really traumatic closing down my studio doors and being forced to do that. It was something very foreign to me, being forced to do something. And it was out of my control. And I found that it was important to keep connecting with everyone. But I also found it was also really important to still highlight that the studio for us, like a point shoe fitting for you, is really special and there's something very sacred about it. I don't know. Um, and I mean, when someone walks through the studio doors, it's not just I'm delivering a dance class. We have, you know, I have a candle burning to get the scent to make everyone calm. I have certain music playing as they enter. The bars are out. There's a certain smell. There's a certain vibe. There's a certain way that you can 
um, interact with someone quietly in a class of 20. Whereas if you're on Zoom and if you give someone a correction, I actually stopped giving people corrections in the very minimal classes that I was taking just to stay connected because it was like everybody heard your, your correction blasted on a you know, TV in someone's lounge room and it was very confronting. So I found the whole experience quite awful, really. Um, I will forever be grateful for my clients who showed up, but for me, it's highlighted the importance of that human to human interaction. And like you having a bricks and mortar place, you know, I, I am a bit like you in regards to, I'm not quick to think that online is going to be the future. I actually think we will go a little bit back and want that human connection. Is that what you sort of think? I completely agree with you. At least that's what I'm hoping for because I live for human connection. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I really am in so many ways such a humanist. And I'm so all about the connection. I think if you can boil down the point job into a one philosophy, it's, it's human connection. It's the care and the empathy that comes with that relationship. And I think that's important to not have, you know, just the screen and that obviously helps, but there's so much more to the human connection and being in the same space. I love spaces. I love people. I love connecting. I love communication. All of those things. I don't think that it's ever going to go out of style as no. long as human beings are human. I, um, I wanted to ask you, so you refer to yourself as the fairy godmother <laughs> with your clients. I love it. Where did that start and, and how, how did that come about? All of my best marketing ideas did not come from me. It is it directly came from uh, my clients. So every time I heard that, I, I, I heard that a couple times when I first started fitting shoes. So it's like um, I was I was invited to one of my dancers' performances, and I was sitting with her family watching. And there was another group of people in front of them that the family knew, and they said, "Oh, who's this?" And they said, oh, that's Kayla's fairy godmother. Cute. And I thought that was so cute because it is really our purpose to kind of um, buttress the dancer. Like we are not the star of the show. We are just a spotlight that is on the dancer, you know, so really highlighting the dancer. And um, we have very much a servant uh, attitude with, with this company to serve our dancers and I thought that was the perfect description like I don't even need to explain any more than that I think yeah, just exactly where we are your email signature even says at your service I love that I love that so much oh thank you I uh, I think I started using that very early on and a lot of our other fitters kind of caught up too, but that is the mentality that I think we need to have as not only a business, but as someone who employs people as well. Like I serve my employees, my employees serve the dancers. So everything kind of trickles down. And also that is a bit cultural as well, because the Korean woman, I think traditionally, they have very much a servant leadership attitude. The woman serves the entire household, but 
in return, she is the person who makes all of the decisions. Everything revolves kind of around her. Um, my mom is very much the sun in our household and we all revolve around her. And it's because she serves first. And I think that is something that I've taken away uh, and applied it to my business. Josephine, being in service all the time, do you get tired? <laughs> you know, I think I feel more tired when I feel like, I think it's, it's very difficult for me to answer that because I feel like I'm the most tired when I feel like I'm not inspired. The only time I feel tired is if like, Am I really making a difference or is this doing anything or I'm not inspired to or motivated to do any work. But when I am motivated and inspired, which is most of the time, it is very easy for me to disregard my body because I don't even know when I'm tired. My friends always call me the energizer bunny because I'm so energetic all the time and all of a sudden the lights go off. And I'm like passed out just anywhere. Just like I just fall asleep because I'm so tired and I hadn't slept in like a week. But it's, it's very difficult for me to turn that off. So I, I think the one thing I got out of this quarantine is my ability to sleep and read and uh, being able to take pleasure for myself that is apart from my business. I have never done that. I've never done that, Georgia. Like since I started my business, like I've never had time to actually sleep and read and, and do whatever I wanted. How, how old were you when you started your business? If you don't mind me asking. I was, I was 23. You're joking. When yeah, do you think I, I started, started mine? 23. 23. <laughs> wow. We are twins. <laughs> yeah. But I'm with you. It's really funny. Um, I, during this time, I'm a bit like you. I sort of, I actually surrendered a little bit to it because I, it got, at first I was, it was like going through the stages of grief. At first I was shocked. Then I was numb. Then I was angry. And then I sort of just surrendered to it and went, this is actually an opportunity for the first time in eight years that I can have actually had time to read a book that wasn't that was just like fiction <laughs> and read um that magazine sitting in the corner for the last four months and roll out my mat and do some yoga instead of you know um planning for classes and and do a little bit more on the artwork for my blog and maybe change the podcast introduction and you know just like little things that sort of I don't have time for and and sit and have a coffee. And if I don't feel like getting up for an hour, just sit there and have a coffee, like on my balcony. It was really bizarre. It's nice to, uh, it's been interesting, but um, I'm with you there. Like I, yeah. So what, what have you been reading? <laughs> what you have know, you been- Georgia, we're so on the same length, the same wavelength. That's not even funny. Like our entire yeah. history and like where we are, I, I feel exactly the same way in the different stages of grief. Yeah. Um, but I read, I think it was like 10 weeks in quarantine or something. I read about 16 books during that time. I usually juggle about like two books a month. Yeah. But 
I just like went through the entire gambit of all of the things I wanted to read. Um, so I, I've had like that. I definitely had some five stars in my in in, in my repertoire, um, including the one that I'm in reading right now. I'm reading Gentleman Moscow, and it was so highly recommended that I actually get deterred when like everybody's reading it. But I, yeah. I gave in. I read it. I was like, "You're right. It's just so good." So I'm about fifty percent in right now, and that's amazing. I can't put it down. And I read, uh, right before this one, I read Pachinko. And that was amazing because it was a story of Korean immigrants to Japan during World War II. So that was an amazing, that was an amazing read. One, because I cannot, as a reader, I can't separate myself from being a Korean woman. And it was very much that story during that time. And it reverberated so beautifully in the Korean culture. So that was really fun. And then um, the very first book that I read, I still think that that was my favorite one of all time was Underworld by Don DeLillo. Those are all phenomenal reads. Yeah. yeah. It, it looks like your, um, your days have been filled with books and tea. And I'm sure yeah. behind the scenes, lots of reorganization and pivoting. Absolutely. Um, you are allowed to do fittings now, aren't you? Yes. So we just started taking fittings this week. And what was so overwhelmingly wonderful about this entire thing is how many people have booked appointments and um, the messages that came in that said, I'm so happy for you that you're, you're opening again. And I know that this is nowhere near to being the full capacity that we were at before. And we are still in the middle of the pandemic. It's not over. We're still working mm. through this. Um, so we have to be very cautious about everything. But just the overwhelming support by the people who love us, who use us, it's just, I, I was moved to tears many times during this entire situation because of such warmth and support from our people. Yeah, it's... um. It's certainly a process. I know that um, over the last couple of days, uh, we actually got the green light. Our government changed their mind and brought the timeline forward about two whole weeks, which in oh. in COVID times, that's a, a big deal. Um, and so we were scrambling, we can open next week. The problem wow. is though that we can open, but we can only have 20 people in our building. Now, we usually have maybe a jazz class with 25 kids in it. That's not including the instructor. That's not including my mum, who's our office manager, all the singing lesson going on upstairs. So I have had to make some really hard decisions in regards to our re-enrollments. You know, how do we work this out? I've sort of done it on a first come, first serve basis, but pivoting, <laughs> trying really hard to accommodate everyone. But like you, um, it's um, slow and steady. It's not bang where doors open and 100% capacity it's more 50% capacity and um and just taking it one day at a time are you finding taking one day at a time to be a little bit exhausting but there's a sense of I'm sure I'm going to be a much better business owner after this and a much better human being I think I've developed quite a lot of 
patience. <laughs> Absolutely. I think, well, my business style in general is that I'm very good at sprinting short distances, but I'm really bad at marathons. Yeah. So if you ask me what my five-year plan was for anything in my life, not just my business, anything, it's very difficult for me to answer because I don't really look past the next few months. Um, so we definitely take it day by day, but also I'm so grateful that um, towards the beginning of my business, I struggled so hard. There are so many instances where I was so close to being bankrupt, where one little decision spiraled down to something that was catastrophic. Um, because of all of these things that I went through before, I had the resiliency and the capacity to be able to get through this. I was like, yeah. well, I've already done this before. I've already survived this before. So just another um, thing to worry about. It's another thing. And I always tell this to myself, you know, when everything is going wrong, I say, you know, it's going to be a really good story one day. That's very true. It, um, you know what? I found somewhere where we differ. I'm a huge oh, yeah? plan. Yeah. Thank God. I was thinking this is just too weird. Um, <laughs> But I am a huge planner. Like I, I have in my mind where I want to be in five years time and I have it all laid out in a journal. <laughs> and That's I, amazing. And every year I'm like, this is what needs to be accomplished. I mean, this year, I mean, for me, it's just thrown out the window, but, um, that's where we differ. Thank God. Thank God. There's something different about us, you know, just to highlight that you can be a young business owner and have a different mindset. <laughs> totally. And I think it's more, it's just my personality in general yeah. is that I am so bad at planning. And I know that that is completely my downside. Like I'm so bad at organizing. I'm so bad at planning. I, there's so many things where I lack and I just have to kind of either one, hire people who are really good planners. And I do, uh, or two, uh, just try to play to my strengths. <laughs> if um if you lived in Australia, I, I would be sending all my little girls. I'd be flying you up to do point shoe fittings to the Gold Coast where I live. Um, you're just so I gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, so <laughs> I um look, you know, we don't have you here in Australia, but you know, a dancer coming in for their first pair of point shoes, or I have lots of adults that start ballet. Um and they want to delve into the world of point and I give them a few restrictions, you know, they have to stay at the bar for six months and they have to do a minimum amount of classes with me and during the week. And um, when they're going off to go get their first pair of point shoes, it can be a very daunting experience, whether they're a child or an adult. Um, and even if it's your second or third or fourth pair, it can be a bit of a daunting experience. What is your best recommendations for those that don't have access to you <laughs> um, in regards to going through that process? I wanted to, because I know that some listeners will be going, Georgia, ask more point you questions. <laughs> well, I think uh, one, you can't take it personally. And I, I try to emphasize this in my point you fitting is that there are certain dance, every dancer has some weakness or some strength that they need to work on. So whatever instruction I'm giving them during the fitting, um, everyone is going to get one. So whether you have to work on your flexibility, your alignment, your, everyone's going to struggle some point. Two, it is not a normal thing for human beings to be dancing on their toes. It is mm. not like we are not designed to do that. 
So to even be able to go up on point is a tremendous thing for dancers. Um, so just being kind and then being patient is very important. A lot of dancers, they because of the culture of how ballet is, we don't talk about things when we're struggling. We don't, we kind of keep things to ourselves and we don't talk about things that are difficult for us. And we believe that we're the only people that are going through it, whether it's pain, whether it's the frustration of getting on point, whether it's just being able to balance or whatever it might be. But everyone has their own struggles and every, no one is really talking about it. And they come to me and they tell me, so that's how I know. But like, that's exactly how I felt when I was dancing. I'm like, why am I the only person that is in so much pain in this whole class? Everyone looks just fine. But I looked fine too, because I didn't say anything. Yeah. So just being, they, just understanding tell, that everyone, oh, sorry, tell, go ahead. Oh, no, you're right, you're right. I'm doing <laughs> Zoom, there's just that slight delay. I was going I, to say, I was going to say, you're their fairy godmother. That's why they tell you. <laughs> <laughs> tell me all of your, your sadness and all of the things that you want in life. And yeah, I will fix them. I'll may wave a magic wand. Yes. I um I always finish every podcast episode by asking, um, and I know that this looks very different for people at the moment. And I also acknowledge that balance is different for everyone, uh, depending on what they view balance as. So, what is your number one tip for leading a balanced life in Josephine's world as the fairy godmother of the point shop? <laughs> I think everyone is very different and you're right. I think we just have to understand ourselves so well. And as dancers, we have a distinct advantage of knowing ourselves because we have to pay attention to how we felt and what hurts and what's good and what feels good. And we have this um, insight into our bodies and our minds that a lot of people don't, that don't grow up dancing. So being really understanding of, how much of something you need. So for me, I have the distinct pleasure of working and I know that, and I know that I work a lot more than most people, but um, that's, that's the greatest joy of my life. So to compare the amount of work that I do compared to everyone else is not fair because to them, they might need a little bit more rest and they might not want to travel as much. They might want to live in their, you know, sleep in your own bed more and things like that. So I think everybody just has to kind of understand themselves to kind of know what your balance is at. Like, where's your balancing point? And for me, I would say 90% work, 10% pleasure is probably a good balance for me. <laughs> I'm very lopsided. <laughs> <laughs> I um I highly recommend that everyone goes and follows you on Instagram. So um because you write so eloquently and usually when I'm feeling something whether it's that day or a couple of days later you write about it. <laughs> oh um, funny. <laughs> like your post about small business um the other day I couldn't have agreed more and so um thank you and I where can everybody find you? My personal Instagram, which I talk a little bit more about my personal experiences, um, at Josephine Y. Lee. And if you wanted to follow our business, they can follow us at The Point Shop. Point is, of course, spelled with an E at the end. The shop is spelled normally. 
And uh, we're on Instagram. We do a lot of point shoe fittings on YouTube. So if you're curious to see our process, we do a ton of point shoe fittings on YouTube. Yeah. So as I mentioned, obviously, um, you don't do any online fittings or anything. We had that discussion. But for those that are Australian and listening to this, um, you or from anywhere in the world, we've got really random parts of the world that people are listening from, actually. What's in Indonesia, which is, which is funny. Yeah, Indonesia, <laughs> Germany, um, lots of people in the UK. But your YouTube channel is a wealth of knowledge. So I recommend everyone um, go have a look. You can pick up some tips. Sometimes when I've got a student with a particular problem with their point shoes, I will usually go through your library videos and there's usually something there. So thank you. Very oh, helpful. Thank you. Thank you. And actually, since you do have such an international audience, um, I will mention there are so many people internationally that reach out to us. And what we're going to do, um, and we actually postponed this because of recent events, but we're going to introduce a certification program, um, both for domestic in the United States and internationally. So um, we're looking for retail partners that we can help train and teach how to fit point shoes. Um, we're looking for point shoe fitters like physios that really want to just know more about point shoes, teachers that want to know more about point shoe fittings. Um, we're opening up our curriculum to everyone so that it could be a better resource for dancers. That's um, super interesting. I'm so glad you said that because I already know off the top of my head a few people that would be very interested in that. So that's awesome. Great idea. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for um, agreeing to have a chat with me. And I just hope we can meet one day in real life. Uh, me too. I mean, Australia is definitely on my list. It is for sure on my list. Have you ever been? You haven't been? No, I would love to go. It's on my list because I think you guys lead the dance world and, and medical dance medicine research. So I would love to go there. Yeah, the Australian Ballet does a, a very good job there with their medical team. Um, I, I was in the Australian Ballet School, so I was very lucky and had firsthand um, experience with their medical team. And I, that's one part of the Australian Ballet that I can say does a very, very good job. <laughs> I yeah. would have to agree. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thanks, lovely. Thank you so much. It was so fun. As always, I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast episode. And if you ever feel like reaching out, you can find me on Instagram at The Balance Ballerina or at Balance Ballerinas. I love finding out when and where you're listening from. Not only does taking a screenshot and sharing on social media help expose the podcast, but it inspires me to continue bringing you these conversations. Have a beautiful week. And as always, keep breathing and keep balancing.